Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. We ask, Lord, that you would shatter our illusions of what worship should be if it's wrong, and if it's a good model, if it's a biblical model, teach us to go deeper. Teach us to respond always um, to a call from you to worship if yes, Lord, yes, I'll do it. And Lord, take us in places that we have longed to be. Change us. God, there's nothing here that's gonna be manufactured that can transform us, but Lord, you can from the inside out in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, when I was a kid, it's about my son's age, 11, uh, roughly. It's my little younger sister and I on Christmas Eve, we come downstairs, my parents have put out all the gifts, and we spot one that's huge out of the corner. And immediately, both Jen and I were like, hey, that's mine, that's gotta be mine. So we run over and you know, a little bit disappointed to find out that it says to Scott and Jen. <laughs> and we're like, how's that gonna work? You know, the, the gift sharing things never really worked out pretty well with the siblings, but, but we were still excited about it. And so like that night, I remember going to bed and kind of the normal tradition is you just don't sleep very well, thinking about the gift, thinking about that, like that big gift in the corner. Then it just kind of looms large and you have a hard time sleeping well get up Sunday morning, get the orange juice, rush through that, rush through all the traditions. We used to eat Christmas cookies for traditions, like that's a weird breakfast thing, but we did it. And uh, sausage and bacon, it was just really nice. We, we eat it quickly, we run downstairs, and we're ripping open all the gifts. We're like, oh, oh, socks, yeah, thank you, Grandma, socks, yay. And then we're like, you know, open it up, and like Lego said, oh, yeah, thanks, Mom and Dad, yay. And then like, you know, sweater, yay. And then the whole thing, and then you're kind of done, and, um, and then Mom and Dad are like, okay, we're done. And, and Jen and I were like, whoa, mom and dad, but what about that present over there? And, you know, of course, they go, oh, oh, yeah, that one. Okay, we're surprised, but yeah, okay, um, we forgot that one. So uh, then we, we get all the excitement, it's the crescendo, and this is, the, this is what we've been waiting for. We're totally excited about it, and we get there, and then it's like, okay, Scott, you can tear open this one side, get your sister over there. We're ripping it off together and kind of competing a little bit, and then there's this, then we open the box up, and inside... It's like another box. So we're like, okay, I don't know what that's all about. But, and it's wrapped. So we pull that one out and we unwrap that box and we open it up. And then they're, now, now it's feeling a little bit like we're getting played because there's another box and it's wrapped in there too. And so we pull that one out uh, and of course another box and another box. And it goes on and on. And finally Jen and I, instead of like being excited, or it's, it's sort of like deflated our spirits a little bit. We finally get to this shoe box. It's literally a shoe box, and we thought, this better not be shoes. <laughs> so it's really light, and now we're, and all of the excitement is just drained out of us because we can shake it, it's not very heavy, and uh, we open it up, and there's, there's an envelope in there. So all of this unwrapping, all of this excitement, and, and there's an envelope, we open it up, and mom and dad said that in the spring, we get to go on a family vacation. I can't remember where it was, it was like Disneyland or something, but you know, you might as well be 10 years away when you're a kid, like that isn't spring? This is the Christmas, where's my gift today? And uh, I mean, you know, it was fun, but I remember we were just totally disappointed because there was an empty gift. It was kind of like all this anticipation, all of that 
got stripped away and all we had was a promise that someday, maybe in the future, possibly when you're 18, possibly when you're a, grand, a grandpa, then you will go on this vacation somehow, somewhere in the future. And I was totally disappointed. It was very, it felt like an empty gift, a little bit of hollow feeling at the end of it. What if the sermons that we preach and the songs that we sing and the Christian organizations that we're a part of and the ways that we serve, what if at times, and maybe even often, they are empty gifts to God? What if we are wrapping up in this spiritual image of what we could be on the outside, making everything look really good, but on the inside, our hearts are far from God? And we are offering to God this empty gift. It looks good on the outside, and we've wrapped it up, and we look great, but our hearts are far from God. And at times, right, I mean, don't we even do that going to church? I mean, we could be wrecked on the inside and uh, maybe suffering uh, some setbacks in life, maybe even walking through some depression in a season, um, and, and maybe we're not responding in that season, um, offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice, so our hearts begin to drift, but we come to church just kind of out of obligation, or maybe just this is what we think we th- should do, um, but inside, our hearts are very far from him. That happens sometimes, right? Maybe many of you guys are here today smiling with your friends, laughing, uh, enjoying church, but inside, um, maybe separated from him, not having that vital relationship with Jesus that you, you know you could have. What is it that upsets Jesus the most? This is a great question. And it's kind of what upset my sister and I, and that is that Hollow, empty worship is a hollow, empty gift to God. And today we're going to continue through uh, the book of Mark. We've been walking through Mark for the last four or five weeks, and I love the fact that we get to see the teachings of Jesus and really lean into him, lean into like his heart and get to know him. And once we do, we'll realize that Jesus is uninterested in our hollow, empty worship. He wants us to worship him in what the Bible calls in spirit and in truth. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Mark chapter seven, uh, we begin to see a very interesting conversation that Jesus is having between the Pharisees and the scribes. Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, they're like the target audience of a lot of these parables, and sometimes Jesus is having confrontation with them. This is one of those occasions in Mark chapter seven. Let's pick it up in verse one. And now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples Ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Unwashed, what does that mean? So, worked in an office and uh, in a conference room table, out in a public space, there was this big, huge bowl, it was almost like a jar of M&Ms. They were peanut M&Ms, which I love, by the way. I love those things. And there was a huge jar, and Joni, our administrator, she would keep that thing full. She would go to Costco and buy massive amounts of peanut M&Ms and, and people would just come and grab. I was amazed to find out that she would get like two boxes full, a Costco box is full of M&Ms and they would be, that would last a month because people were, is that good for pancreases? I don't think so. But anyway, people would just go and like handfuls of the stuff and take them back to their desks. And uh, people kind of knew that, they, uh, that I loved M&Ms because they could see that I would buy them and I would buy my own bags of M&Ms. And one day somebody asked like, well, Scott, why don't you just like eat the peanut M&Ms the way that like we all do. You go and buy your own. And uh, so we know that you like them. And I said, well, I got to be honest with you guys. 
like here just for a second because I have been to the bathroom with you people. And honestly, like I, uh, if you guys don't all, all the wash all the time when you're done. And so I'm not sticking my hands in there. I'm just not doing it. In fact, I said, look, there's a few of you guys, and I, I, I just don't want to call you out. I'm not going to say who you are, but, but I've even seen you not at the urinal, but in the other place, you know, like the, the other place and then come out and just leave. And that's wrong. That is, that's ridiculous. So, so come back in, you know, like do. And at one time I remember I called the guy back in. I was like, you gotta, you gotta wash your hands. And he's like looking at me. He's like, oh, I didn't touch anything. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Wash your hands. Look where you were. That's wrong. I was a little bit of a germaphobe back then. And honestly, like uh, having a kid changes that a bit. I mean, I was like you, some of you guys, you know, you open doors like this. You know, open that door, and and uh, you know, you you wash somebody's hands, and then you have a little squirt bottle, and you put your, you know, the Santa hand sanitizer. Anybody do that? Right? I'm going to do that after church today. I just, I mean, I'm still a little bit of like that. But then when you have a kid, everything changes because their hands are in their mouths and stuff. And then they're touching things, and they're putting their hands back there, and then they're touching things, and then they're like, "Oh, you daddy," <laughs> and you're like, "Okay, you know, what are you going to do? Push your kid away? Like, go wash your hands? No, you embrace them, you know, and so you get over it." and you relax a little bit, um, but is this where the Pharisees are at? Are they, are they basically saying, look, man, Jesus, your disciples are dirty. They haven't gone to the bathroom. They haven't washed their hands. So is this a hygiene issue? Is, is this where we're at? No, it's not. Okay, we're going to get to that. I want to show you. So uh, Mark 7, verse 3, uh, this is kind of in parentheses here because Mark is going to tell, he's going to break for a second from the story of Jesus, and he's going to pause, and he's going to tell you a little bit about what Jewish custom is like. So let's actually pick it up in verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, Jews, they don't eat unless they wash their hands properly, ritually, holding the, to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining dining couches, right? We don't have dining couches, but they're like, you know, big, they're benches or soft chairs or cushions that you would eat your uh, dinner around. So now, this has nothing to do with physical hygiene, which of which I am kind of obsessed. Uh, so it's nothing to do with that. In fact, so... God is so much further ahead in his understanding of how the world works that science actually didn't catch up with this idea until about 1880, 1890, when germ theory was figured out. So if you don't know, in, in, just in the Civil War, uh, they, they had no concept of germ theory, so there was lots of bodily fluids and sawing off of limbs and blood splattering everywhere and things got getting mixed up, and it was, it was gross and horrific, and a lot of people died because there was no understanding of germ theory. This is just in the mid-19th century. Now go back all the way to this time here, and what we're not seeing is they're not saying, wash your hands because I don't want your germs, because they don't have any idea and any concept of what germs are all about. What were they obsessed about then in this confrontation with Jesus about his disciples? They were talking about ritual ceremonial cleanliness. So as a devout Jew, everything is either clean, okay with God, doesn't make you unclean, or it's unclean, no in between. It's either clean or unclean. You have clean animals, sheep, goats, things like that, and then you have unclean animals, pigs, 
dogs, things like that. There are, so it's clean or unclean. And there are certain things that make you unclean. So certain animals make you unclean. If you eat them, if you touch them, if you're around them, uh, bodily discharge makes you unclean. Some skin problems would make you unclean. Uh, if you were around a dead body or uh, some dead animal, you would be unclean. But to, to understand this even further, uh, I want to, want to tell you this, that, that being unclean isn't just about that isolated thing that you do. It's, it's transferable. It is actually transferable. So if, if you, you had a dog, then the dog licked a cup, and then you picked up the cup, and you drank out of that cup, then the cup is now unclean, and then you've become unclean. Now let's say then, you had, then your spouse comes and touches you now your spouse is unclean. So it's gone from the dog to the cup to you to your spouse, and uncleanness is transferred. Again, this is way before germ theory, so don't think of it in terms of germs. Think of it in terms of clean versus unclean. And you would have to be ritually clean. What do you do when you are unclean in this, in this custom? You would go through an elaborate ceremony. You would have to be ritually unclean. And it's not a matter of walking up to a tap, turning on the water, putting some soap on. Nothing to do with that. It's about, again, being ritually clean. And what you would have to do before you would eat and sit down and, and, and take your food is you'd put your hands together and someone else would pour clean water over you. Uh, from a clean vessel that was ritually clean. So you couldn't pick up the, the, the vessel yourself because now you've made it unclean. Somebody would have to do that for you. And it would pour over you and uh, you would want to hold your hands in such a way that the water would not then drip down and touch you because if you washed, the water is now that touched you is now unclean, follow along. And then if it hits you again, like hit your leg, now you're unclean again, so you'd have to do it all over again. Um, and so you'd hold your hands out like that so that the water would drip down into a basin or onto the ground. Are you, are you tracking with me? So, so cleanliness is, uh, is, is, is a binary thing. Either you're clean or you're unclean. There are certain things that make you unclean, and if you are unclean, it's transferable. You have to clean yourself spiritually in order to be eligible to worship God. You'd have to go through this cleansing ritual before and during meals. So it even would pause during the meal at certain times and say, uh, I need to go, I need to be cleaned again. And so depending on how seriously you took this custom, you would do it maybe often several times during a meal together. The Pharisees said, why don't your disciples do this? Why aren't they hanging with the custom? Like this has uh, been around for generations and we know what to do. Why are you, uh, why are you not doing that, Jesus? Why are your disciples not doing that? And he kind of says something interesting back to them when he responds. Uh, it, it sounds really harsh at first, and we're going to see where Jesus is going to go, and we'll circle back and say, how does this affect us? Because obviously we don't do ritual cleansing. We wash our hands for other reasons. And he said to them in verse 6, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips. They know what to say. They talk a good talk, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. And Jesus goes on, quoting Isaiah, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What's a doctrine? What is a doctrine for a second? Like some of you guys are like, think, think, well, that's what theologians have. Theologians have doctrines. No, you have doctrines too. Doctrines are statements and about uh, holy things or things that you consider to be valuable and holy. They reveal what is important to you. They're your creeds. They're not uh, statements of um, motivation. They're statements of value. 
And they say, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In verse eight, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. You hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. He's saying that um, in Isaiah, the prophet is speaking on behalf of God, saying that all of your rituals and all of your offerings and all of your, like all of your ceremonies, the, in, in Isaiah, it says in, in chapter two, they're a stench to my nostrils. He's very explicit about it. He says, it doesn't, it makes me sick. I mean, he literally says that. He says, it, it, it churns my stomach. If God had a stomach, he, it makes him want to throw up. He's disgusted by it. He said all of that. He said, I want, I want you to repent in sackcloth and ashes and get back to true spiritual worship. And Jesus is echoing that same thing. He's saying that you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God, which is to worship me in spirit and in truth, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love everyone else as you love yourself. And you have rejected that in order to do what? To establish your own tradition. What is Jesus calling out here? He's calling out a show on the outside, a hypocritical expression, a pretend faith. Anybody done that? Anybody feel a little guilty? I have. And as a church, I think, honestly, Canyon Creek Church, listen, we have a lot of potential to grow in this area. In a heartfelt expression of our worship to God, we, we do it routinely and regularly, and we gather together to do it. But one of the areas of potential growth, and my prayer is, is that during this message, God would begin to speak to us and call us back to real spiritual worship. What does that look like? Let's talk about it for a minute. I want to talk about worship today. Now, when I talk about worship, most people will start thinking about music, and singing, and corporate worship, which is fine. I mean, that's a big part of worship, but we do that all the time. Uh, we think about style, right? Environment, lighting. We think about the space, and we think about, you know, what it feels like on a Sunday morning. How many of you guys have ever visited a church with a different style than in Canyon Creek, right? Almost everybody, right? I, I, a liturgical, right? Anybody been to a more liturgical uh, service where things are more structured, where you kind of know, based on the season, exactly what's going to be spoken on? Uh, maybe some of you guys have been on those. How many of you guys have ever been overseas and been to a church service overseas? I, like, they go on. I was in one in Africa uh, that went on for like two, three hours, um, that's all that they had to do all day long, and that's all they were going to do was just sit there and worship and listen and sing and clap their hands and, and have testimonies, and then there'd be a message, and then they'd sing for another hour, and then there'd be another message, and it was like, it would go on and on and on. Different. It's just different. It's a different expression. It's, it's a church. It's God's church, but it's a different expression of it. And the thing that I want to leave you with is there's, there's a limitless amount of, of, of creativity in the ways that we can express our love to God. Uh, there, there's a limited, unlimited amount of uh, opportunity for us to worship and experience in various different ways uh, are, are the goodness of God. Many of you know that I came to faith in Jesus Christ at about 16 years old. Prior to that, my family... They, they didn't take me to church very often, but they would take us to this United Methodist Church which was near our house. And I actually really enjoyed it. They had potlucks, and they had a lot of kids my age, so I really enjoyed going there. We usually went only on holidays, um, but I will explain it to you. If, you don't, if you've never been to a church like this, we would sit and stand at various times during the service. Uh, we would, uh, and you know when to do it. Everybody would know when to do it except for me. Like all of a sudden, everybody would stand, and I would stand, and then they would sit, and then I would be a little bit behind, and I would sit. And with my family, 
right? We just did that. And then um, also they did not have uh, words on the screens as if they do here. They had these things uh, that you would pick up in the seat in front of you, which by the way, wasn't as comfortable seat like this. It was a hard wooden pew. And usually a pew would have, be like, you know, this is the family's pew. And, you would, and if, you, uh, if you were in somebody's seat, they would sometimes politely ask you to move. Uh, but anyway, we, had, we found out what seats were appropriate for us to sit in. And then we would grab this hymnal. And uh, so, you know, on, this, on the uh, board here would be like, oh, turn to uh, page 356. So you turn to 356. Oh, how great thou art. Then you would sing that song together and just out of the hymnal, no words on the screen. And sometimes you'd sing verse one, two, and then like four. Uh, for some reason, they would never do verse three. I don't know why. Verse three, never, we never sang verse three, could never figure it out to this day. Um, and I loved it. I loved the expression of faith in singing uh, through the hymnal. And I, and I kind of miss that. I miss uh, some of that, the feeling of just kind of knowing what to do. Uh, and my, sto- my, my journey is then I became a Christian at age 16, and I began to be really passionate about Jesus and the church that I was brought to uh, it, uh, by my friends who led me to the Lord. I, it was this huge church, and I walk in there, and there's there's a thousand people in the room, and there's many like African American people, and they're singing, and they've got their tambourines, and there's a lot of loud music. Uh, there's a lot of like really like vibrant singing, and and I, at first I was like, ooh, you know, I'm I'm not. This is not for me. Uh, I felt a little uncomfortable, and I, and I kind of it took a while to get used to it because I mean there's people like you know moving in the aisles and stuff like that, and I was kind of like no. No, not not me. You know, and then people raising their hands, and I thought, oh, oh, that is so, so weird. And um, so I, 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 that's, that's my journey. It took me a while to get comfortable with it. It took me a while, and I can remember my very first time where I'm like, all right, I'll do it. You know, just kind of like this. Maybe I'll look around. Anybody's looking at me. Nobody cares. You know, after a while, I just kind of do it. And I got used to it, really used to it really enjoying it. And so, you know, maybe you have come from a background where liturgy is, is a part of your expression of faith. That that's, that's, feels comfortable to you and it it's, it's feels good to you. And then you maybe come from a background where you sang a cappella. Like the idea of even having instruments is weird, let alone drums and, and electric guitars and all that. And then, you know, maybe you come from like high church. Some of, some of us at Canyon Creek Church, we come from Catholic backgrounds where Catholicism and the high church liturgy and the ritual is much more um, structured. Uh, and maybe some of you come from more charismatic expressions even than here, and that's fine. We have many that do. Um, some of you guys, you, you're used to like a 15-minute sermon, and then that's it. To some of you guys, maybe two hours. That's not unusual in your church. Anyway, what I'm saying is there's limitless ways of expressing our love for God. But with so many different ways, the question is, which one, which way is best? Which way is best? Is it the traditional liturgy, um, or is it expressive? Which is, which is right? Which is best? So here's the thing. Before God... Before Jesus Christ, right here, and he is here in this room, I'm going to tell you that both are right. Both are right. Or, conversely, neither are right before God. Because the issue isn't the style, and the issue isn't the kind of music that we sing, or where we sing it from, or where the words live. The issue is in the heart. 
The issue is with us. It's inside of us. It's a reflection of who we are and what we care about. My son uh, used to bring me artwork when he was younger. So cute, I wish he was still like this. But he'd bring me pictures and beautiful pictures, right, of like suns and houses and maybe like a monster in there, sometimes dinosaurs. And he'd hand them to me and he'd say, Daddy, I love you. Here's my picture. And you know, you know what you don't do? You don't t- take something like that and look at your kid and go, oh, um, you know what? Hey, dude, you, uh, do you know that trees are green? You did this one like more blue, but a tree is actually green. And you know what? You should have colored more in the lines. And why didn't you do the sky blue? Why is the sky yellow? And the sun should be, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you do that? Do you criticize, you know, the style of the artwork? Or do you embrace your son and say, your heart is of love. You gave this to me out of love. And so I love you. No, it's his heart that matters. And God is no different when it comes to our worship. If we present it to him and it's out of love, it's, he's not concerned about the heart. Christianity is not a hobby. It's not an interest. It's not a label. Christ is our life. And therefore, worship isn't just about the songs that we sing and the music that we sing, but it's the life that we live in him. It's the life that we live through him. And so I want to say this, that I love the songs that we sing here at Canyon Creek Church. I love the people that lead us in worship. In fact, I'm gonna call them up. They're gonna come up here and play for us um, in the remainder of my message. And so I just want you guys to um, just to kind of experience together as we worship in the remainder of the service. We don't do this hardly at all, right? This isn't, if you're new here, this isn't something that we do every Sunday. But I wanna, I wanna lean into this idea of worship and talk about it. And I, I figured the best way that we could is by actually having worship um, as we move forward in it. And so for the rest of us, if you're not playing behind me, my call for you is to prepare your heart to prepare your heart. Maybe you wanna bow your head right now and just in these few moments, I want you to visualize what Jesus did for you. Sort of picture the gospel um, in your mind. Just hold him in your heart for a moment and realize that through his son, the perfect, sinless son of God who suffered and bled and died for you so that your sins could be forgiven, Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He is the risen Lord. And at this moment, right here in this room, Jesus is with, it, with us. He is, isn't that cool? He is with us. And so in this moment, prepare your heart. And with your heart right before God, as you begin to confess sins and confess anything that is keeping you from worshiping him, sometimes I just think you have to creatively express your love for God. And again, it's my opinion as your pastor that we have some room to grow in this area some room to grow in the way that we express our love for our creator, our savior, our redeemer, our sustainer in Jesus Christ. What are some ways that we can grow in our worship? Well, there's different ways. Number one, sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we bow. In Psalm 95, 6, oh, come, let us worship and what? Bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Sometimes if you're just overwhelmed by who he is, you 
just got to fall to your knees. Sometimes it feels good to do that. Like Peter in repentance, he fell to his knees and he said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, Lord. He fell to his knees. The wise men, when they came to uh, see Jesus in, in the nativity, they, they fell to their knees and they worshiped God. They worshiped him. And sometimes that's the appropriate response, that you fall to your knees. It's an act of submission. It's an act of, um, I'm small or I want to make myself small. I want to physically express the posture of my heart. Again, what you can't, what you can't see in the act of bowing or in any of the other things that we're talking about is the external because it's coming from an internal reality that I submit to you, God. I, I submit my life to you. I humble myself before you. And my bowing is an expression of worship because I am in awe of you. I revere you, God, and I revere you. You can bow now or you can bow later, but you will bow. You will bow. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every other name, so that at that name of Jesus, what? Every knee will bow. Where? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. No one escapes. No one gets out of bowing. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The greatest saints, the most wholehearted, devoted lovers of Jesus that bow every day, they will bow on that day and then they will do it out of love for God. Those that have rejected God, maybe the hardest of the hard hearts that would never even acknowledge that God even exists, they also will bow on that day day, not out of love, but out of fear. And we can bow now or we can bow later. So sometimes we bow in reverence to God. What are some ways that we can grow in worship? We can bow. We can lift our hands in adoration. We can lift our hands. This isn't a weird thing, by the way. This isn't a charismatic thing. This isn't a weird, weird thing. I'm going to explain that in a second. It's a Bible thing. When David was in the wilderness in Psalm 63, he said, So I will bless you, Lord, as long as I live in your name. I will do what? I will lift up my hands. Now, when, what, do we, what does lifting up our hands indicate in our culture? So it could indicate, like, I'm in a very difficult situation, circumstance, and I'm going to lift up my hands and go, I surrender. I have no control over this. I'm done with this. I, I surrender. Another thing you can do is, like, hey, I, I mean, victory for our team. You know, anybody ever raise your hands at a concert or a sports event? Like somebody you really adore, maybe your favorite musician, you're just going to raise your hands to that. You're going to raise your hands to your favorite team. Like, hey, go Seahawks, go Sonics. Oh, I just hurt saying that. But I mean, you just say, this is my favorite team. You guys have been to concerts. You see that all the time. Raising the hands is not a weird thing. But sometimes it can feel weird in church. I remember when I first saw it, I was like, whoa, what is that all about? And then I tried it. It felt so good. Again, the hand raising doesn't mean anything, but it's coming from within us. It's welling up from within a reality in our hearts that we are just going to surrender to God. I can't handle it on my own. I've tried on my own. God, I give up. I surrender. I lift up my hands. So I bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we lift up our hands in adoration. And sometimes we offer a sacrifice of praise. What does that mean? Hebrews 13, 5, 15 says, 
Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Sometimes we feel like worshiping God. We want to. Like all of you guys, you're here. It would have been so easy to skip church. You're here because you want to be here. You're here because you chose to be here. Sometimes you want to praise, and sometimes you do not. We worship him when we feel him. We worship him when we don't feel him. We choose to worship him. We bring a sacrifice of praise to our God. We give of ourselves. Worship is about laying down who you are and your rights and your your sense of um, just entitlement to your life. And it's laying that down. We worship him when we feel him, when we don't feel him. We choose to worship him because it's not based on our circumstances. It's based on his character, on who he is. That's where worship comes from, and it's based upon that. But daily, daily we lay down our lives as an act of worship. Sometimes we bow out of reverence. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. Sometimes we bring a sacrifice of praise. But daily we lay down our lives as an act of worship because worship is not just what we do. It's who we are. It's our identity. We are worshipers. Because of who God is, we are worshipers. Everything that we do is an act of worship. Yes, when you get in your car today and you drive out into the snow, that's an act of worship. Keep your eyes on the road, but you are worshiping. When you're hanging out with your friends after church today and you're eating food, that is an act of worship. When you wake up in the morning, you dedicate your life and your day to Jesus, that is an act of worship. When you're distracted, when you're when you're in that moment and you're in this, that little margin of life, uh, that in, in the space of your day, that could be an act of worship. Nothing is lost in worship. It's all that we do. Romans 12.1 says it better than I could. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship, your worship. The way that you live, that is your true and proper worship. Every day is a living sacrifice. That is, look, if I have a job that I love, I worship. If I have a job that I don't love, I'm worshiping him. When I'm healthy, I worship. When I'm sick, when I'm in pain, I worship. When I have plenty, I worship. And when I'm in need and things aren't going well, I also worship. Because worship isn't just the song that we sing. It's the life that we live, and we live it for him in Christ. Who is God? Who is Jesus? In view of who he is, and if you know him, the response should be to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice. Would everyone please just right now stand on your feet? If you have been preparing your heart to worship, even now I ask you to stand up. Thank you so much for responding in that way. I know that it's a difficult for some of us to even imagine stretching out and worshiping. I just pray right now that we begin to worship Jesus. Nicole's going to lead us in another song. And just carry yourself out. Maybe for you, you need to kind of abandon what you think worship looks like and just do it in your own way. You don't have to raise your hands, but I challenge you to take what's happening and the reality of what's happening in your heart and let it come out, out of your heart and live it out with your bodies. Offer it to him as a living sacrifice. Let's worship together.
7, Jesus talks about, uh, you know, how the things that make us clean or unclean uh, aren't what comes into our mouth. It's not the food that we eat. He says it's actually what comes out of us, out of our heart that makes us clean or unclean. And here's, uh, this is an important point. I just wanted to pause right here and just say, like, for those of you guys who feel that your heart is dirty, you may feel that way because of a thing called sin which is when we turn from God and we do what is counter to God, we, we sin, that, that brings us away from God, that, that alienates us from God. 
then what can we do when the heart is dirty? What can we do when out of the overflow of the heart, what we're saying and what we're, how we're living is really a reflection of that garbage that's in us? And it's really hard, like, it's maddening sometimes. How do we deal with that? And I really want to, it's important for you to realize that just raising your hand and doing an external thing can't clean that up. And in fact, you can't really even clean it up if you just meditate and read a, write, read a good book or something like that. You can't do it yourself. I want you to really feel this. It's, it's a the sanctification, which means becoming more like God, more holy, is a work of God in your heart. And that ritual cleansing that we talked about earlier, that water, that pure water that's poured over the hands, is it really meant to symbolize that pure Holy Spirit, that water of redemption that pours over our hearts? Um, and cleans us up. Only Jesus can do the cleaning. And so it's really important to realize that if you feel far from God, maybe, you know, as we're singing, as we're talking about this, you just keep thinking, I'm a dirty boy. I'm a dirty girl. You know, nobody nobody could love me. Nobody could save me. You don't know what's happened in my life. Like, I, I feel dirty in my life. I don't feel clean. Just realize this, that that it's a work of Jesus Christ in you that can redeem you. And he wants to do that work. Jesus, I pray right now, God, for those folks out there, God, that they're, again, looking to the outside. They're looking to the external. They feel dirty. They want, they, they can't imagine themselves being clean. God, that you would begin to just penetrate all of the areas, the spaces and the recesses and the hidden spots in our hearts to reveal them and open them to you, God, that you might wash and clean and renew Bring us back into right relationship with you, God. Ritually cleanse us, Lord, as only you can do from the inside in spaces that we cannot reach. Lord, we could live wholesome lives and eat all the right foods and say all the right things and our hearts could still be far from you. It's the reality of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, you can go ahead and be seated. I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward. We're gonna receive this morning's tithes and offerings. As an extension of our worship, it is something that we do to worship the Lord as part of our giving, and our giving is part of our worship, and uh, I just want to pray over the offering, and then we'll let you out of here. Thank you so much for coming out to Candy Creek Church on a snowy day, and it just got more snowy, by the way, while you're sitting here, so. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for each gift and every giver. Lord, help us in this moment not to just compartmentalize our lives. In other words, we're at church and then we're going to wrap it up and then we're going to go do, we're going to eat like a casa and forget all about it. Lord, no, we're going to, I pray that you would just roll forward what happened here today throughout the day and tap us on the shoulder and remind us what you have done in our hearts and what you want to do even as we go about our lives and all the trivia of life that there's nothing trivia about your cleansing and your restoring in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So offerings are going by. Uh, I wanted to say a couple of quick things. First of all, don't forget to drop in your connection card, especially if you're a visitor. We'd love to get to know you. Um, Then uh, just wanted to remind you that uh, growth groups are super important. It's how we do life together. And our goal is to try to get every single person involved in either a life group or a growth group. Life groups are for Chi Alpha students and growth groups are for the rest of us. So if you aren't in one, you want to be a part of one. In fact, we're launching some really cool growth groups. We've never done any youth ministry before. And actually this next couple of uh, 
seasons and growth groups. We're doing junior high and high school ministry. Isn't that amazing? And so we're launching that. We have a couple of really cool growth groups on various subjects. You'll have a catalog in your hands next week. So just kind of come prepared to be a part of that. And uh, thank you guys for, so much for being here. Please stand on your feet. I'm going to just pray one more time for you to let you go. And uh, then we'll do the peace out thing and uh, have a great day. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much, God, for this uh, amazing group of people. I pray, Lord, that you would echo in us the reality of your love and let us respond in true and authentic worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are amazing. We'll see you back next week. Peace and out.